Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This is a crowd podcast. Welcome back to the French Football Podcast with me, Tim Groves, ex-Scotland international Johnny Beattie and former France hooker Benjamin Kayser, who are both itching to talk about France v Scotland. One probably a little bit more than the other, but um, we will start with you, Benji. You're working on the game for BBC. How was your weekend? And we know how passionate you are. So, what was it like commentating on that? Well, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie, boys. It hurt a little bit. It, it wasn't the easiest, smoothest, uh, chilled afternoon. But to be honest, and I swear, this is not just trying me trying to find sort of some sort of weird excuse of not addressing the French problem, but. When a rugby game is won on heart, I really don't mind it. You know, one with a, a team rocking up with a serious pair of the balls, basically, and telling it, we're going to bully you. We want this more than you. We're going to compete more than you. And if they win it just oh yeah, on sheer determination, that generally doesn't bother me. It wasn't, you know, a last minute decision by the ref. It wasn't a stupid intercept try. It wasn't under the pouring rain, some sort of, you know, bouncing ball uh, on a under a high ball that wasn't collected. It was just every single ball that was on the floor, there was a Scotland's on it. All the kick chase were in favor of Scotland. Like we were chatting before the show, Johnny, it just felt like France discovered, oh shit, we can actually play under the rain. It can cause us a problem. You know, it's just, that's how it felt. So as much as I was absolutely gutted, there's also my the part of my brain that was sort of telling me that 21 points and scoring a bonus point against Scotland was just simply impossible from the start or not impossible, but you needed an extraordinary performance. And I think after 10 minutes, you realized that extraordinary performance was, was simply not going to be there. Once Brice Dulin had to compete under 1,700 high balls and drop two of them and his mates were just simply not helping him. So I enjoyed the BBC setup. It was great. I enjoyed the Scottish heart. It was great. I'm very, very disappointed about the French sort of outcome of this tournament because one decision, more or less, we could have been talking about a disappointment of not winning the Six Nations, but still another victory. And that's not the case. And Johnny, you were there. What was it like in the stadium? You're really quiet from a French perspective. Um, nothing coming from the French bench, really subdued. And just to like touch on what you said, Benji, I'm not sure if it was almost they'd accepted they weren't going to win by 21 points before they even started. And there were lots of parts of the game that they didn't get right. And, and I think that compounds and, and, and builds and it makes it look like the effort isn't there. There was so much that they did wrong and it was almost amateurish in the way they yeah. executed. We'll get into those bits. But again, purely from a heart, 
like you said, balls on the line. Scotland is a small country with a small rugby public and a small base of players. So for me, the fact that, like you said, you can come in hungry, you can try and do something, write some history, and you can be organized. That, that the biggest difference for me was they were so much better organized. We'll break down how in a minute, but that's why we love rugby, is that you can overcome the odds. Scotland hadn't beaten France in Paris since 1999. The last time they beat England and France away was 1926, which is ridiculous. Look, if that game gets played 50 times, Scotland might win five. But the fact is, it was amazing to be there as a Scot, commentating on the game in the stadium, watching all, you could see the movement, the sort of hustle, the buzz around... Honestly, five minutes into that game, I knew Scotland could win it purely because of the basic elementary errors that France were committing in their kick chase, their exit strategy, their lineouts. We'll get into that in detail. But once I saw those things happen two or three times and Scotland then, you could see their tails go up. They believed that they could do it because France weren't at the races. And that was it. It was game on. And it was the exact opposite to last week. It came down to a decision in the last minute. Something that happens, rugby ball's a funny shape. We're put under pressure, we're put under stress, we make bad decisions, we'll get onto that too. But the fact that Scotland were hungrier and better organised made the game. And that's what makes rugby fantastic. And that's what made this game and my Friday night magic. <laughs> well, I'm glad you had a good Friday night, Johnny. But you, you both mentioned heart and hunger there. And obviously we did speak last week about how Scotland had plenty of motivation going into this game. But France had the ultimate motivation of the title. So why do you think Scotland won that battle of heart and that battle of hunger? In, in my mind, there's, there's also the never forget that these guys are human beings, right? And uh, that the highs that you asked them to perform at and, and what they, how deep they were asked to basically to dig uh, for the last couple of, let's say, 10 minutes, so basically since the Paul Williams uh, red card, so maybe 15 or 20 minutes of that Wales game, it, it takes a toll. Right, it's 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 not just the body talking. The the, the 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 emotionally, the boys must have been absolutely drained on that day for a couple of days, almost like walking like zombies, just because you're empty. And they had six day turnaround to go again to a Scottish side who, to be honest, even if they're chuffed about the the win in in Paris, they're still just a slightly bit disappointed because they knew that year should have been a better year for them. Because when you go, you know, to to Paris and when you go to a, and you go to Twickenham and you come back victorious, then they will be moaning and kicking and screaming about that Wales game and the send-off and the Xander Fagerson red card and all that because they know that they had a lot more in the tank. So I think basically that the Wales game took a toll on the French sort of spirit, emotional uh, reserve. Okay, that's not an excuse. Don't get me wrong. That's just one of the explanations. And then for some whatever reason, we thought we were just Johnny Big Nuts and decided it was a good idea to put on social media <laughs> the International Waffle Day. Oh, mate. Mate, but that's the mistake that the English do against France. And I'm telling you, we eat that shit up. So we, we take that on for the whole week and it's exactly the motivation that you need. I mean, literally, I was telling Johnny that Stuart Ogg, he looked absolutely possessed. I'm not, I don't know if this is the extra motivation they needed. I'm sure the media blew it up a little bit. Okay, but still, why the hell would you chance it? It's funny in a WhatsApp group of mates, right? It's the silly rugby banter that we do all the time that I love. But doing it a couple of, I just thought it was completely useless. And it almost felt like Johnny said that before the game, the boys were like, oh, listen, I think, I think we, we went a little bit too far as an organization. We don't have the, the heart because we left everything against Wales. Okay. And then Scotland, fair enough, are pretty good. 21 points and a bonus point is just too much. So I don't think there was a lot of, of belief. I think the fact that it rained sort of showered the whole little bit of sparkle that was left within that French team. And that's the little organized sort of, excuses that I can have for the French team, but purely simply, when you, you don't want it as much as your opponent, they win it. That's it. And just before we get into the game, you mentioned the International Waffle Day 
post who was responsible for that do we know anything about it is is he still in a job what what was the deal he shouldn't be he shouldn't be this is the thing again from we're talking about the motivation for the french so the motivation of the french was 21 point difference that's the gap for me as soon as the rain came down like benji said it wasn't on they weren't interested for scotland i think people forget outside of france You've got every single one of those boys is desperate to get on a plane and go and tour the British and Irish lines, which has been greenlit. People forget about that motivation. Nobody in France thinks about it. If they won that game in a really positive manner, they could have finished second, which would have been their best and highest finish in the Six Nations era. Wasn't mentioned by French press. And look, I, I think you hit the nail on the head, Benji. As soon as the rain came out, it showered and dampened all the French hopes and expectations. And it lit a fire under every Scotsman who knew we can play in these conditions because we've done it since we were five years old, we know how to execute and we can do it. But the absolute spice and, and the big thing that we didn't really get to talk about too much last week was capped off by this post on social media. And it was so tone deaf and lacking tact in an attempt at humor, but so badly placed because I only real or told us somebody in the Scottish camp told me on Tuesday, they only found out that they were going to get five players given to them on the Sunday. So five days before the game. So Gregor Townsend last weekend had done a team sheet and was ready to give it out with only Finn Russell and home-based players. So he was planning for a game without his captain? Without anyone based in England because the game had to be rearranged because the French boys stuffed up and broke the COVID bubble. So in the camp, they were all livid and raging that they were going to have to do this without half their best players. And then somebody from the communications team in France... <laughs> decides to take the piss and stick up a happy waffle day picture just to piss everyone off and add more fuel onto the fire. So as much as it was tone deaf, I don't think that the French team, be it the comms team, the PR team, had an appreciation of how much the French ill-discipline in that COVID respect had affected everyone else. And, you know, even the fact that we got five players because the Scottish Rugby Union had to go negotiate for them was a win. So the fact that we were already shorn of, didn't know for our preparation, and had kind of been shat on, in a sense, because on a sporting level, we could have had or been forced to go and play that game with just Finn in our home base. Like, that's not right. There's no way. So if you wanted to add any more fuel on the fire, you stick out a tweet, take the piss, and you're arrogant. And that's it. You said before, that English arrogance that everyone hates. People love a bit of French arrogance. We love it. But in that situation this week, it was tone deaf. Just just to be fair to exactly what happened, you said the French broke the bubble. It's, it's not true, right? You know, it's, it's the bubble was not airtight enough, but the protocol was respected. It's just that that protocol, they could have wiped their asses with it from the, from the start. <laughs> it Don't get me wrong. It doesn't make it right. No. It doesn't make it uh, equal to others. And when I hear, you know, I was some English boys that were going, going, going absolutely mental because it was a very strict. I think Scotland had sort of a, um, not a full-on training, but like a proper session on the Wednesday against Glasgow. And that's when the, when the, the number eight, Fagerson, got injured. And the only yep. reason why Wilson got picked is because he's been tested because he was playing in that COVID um, bubble-free, bubble-whatever testing group. And so they had to pick from, a, they couldn't even pick anybody else. They were speaking about that Dupre's guy, Cornel Dupre's or something like that. Cornel, he's a Worcester. So they would have picked him, but they couldn't because he wasn't part of the bubble. So, you know, so they were complying to a very strict protocol. Don't get me wrong, Ryan Wilson's a good player. He got his 50th. That's awesome for him. But I mean, is you know, they were going through all those things. And then when the French had a, a, just a crap protocol uh, from the start, how the hell the Six Nations accepted? I don't know. No idea. How, Money. How was that? Yeah, but... Money. Yeah, but then money. Then who paid for the who paid for the the Scotsman to be um, to be let go from from Premiership Rugby? Six Nations. 
So I still don't understand what's going on in there. Basically, everybody mix up, mixes up the money and stuff. It's not the Scots who paid for it. And why did Premier, Premiership Rugby ask for money considering there's no relegation? And they asked, apparently, it was about 50 grand per player. It's like a big old chunk. But at the same time, if you could put 250,000 uh, pounds on the table, why don't you put 300 and you get Sean Maitland? So I don't understand what's going on. It's really random. But I, what I do agree with you, Johnny, is that there is a bit, there's two sides to the story, yes, but there's also sort of two ways of measuring things during this whole COVID bubble and, and all that. And once you know that you've played with fire, you poked it, you played around, you're making the others look like idiots and stuff, the last thing that you do is to put in one last tweet because that clearly means not only we're not oh. sorry, but it means, you know, stuff you were just better, it will shit over you and that's it. That, that, I, that I didn't like. And it will be forgotten about now, Johnny, because Scotland won, but only five English-based players, which meant Sean Maitland was playing in the championship. Yep. That would have motivated them as well. No, that backs against the wall already. And I know That's they it. had five, but they Nothing should have had to more. Lose. If you didn't have any added motivation because of Lions, because of trying to finish second, your backs are against the wall. You've, you've been treated like shit, to be fair. If it was in the Autumn Nations Cup, the thing would have been cancelled. But the fact that they're the ones that have to lose their players train weirdly. As you said, Matt Figerson gets injured on a Tuesday. Ryan Wilson, who hasn't done one training session with this squad mm. since the World Cup, comes in last minute on a Wednesday, flies over and plays the game. I mean, really impressive for him as well. He stood up and he was great. But honestly, on a pure sporting level, it probably shouldn't have happened. And it definitely added more motivation to that group, 100%. But there, was, there, was injuries. there was injuries on both sides. Huh? France lost three or four players in the Wales game a red card and some injuries and all that. So that, that injuries do happen, right? It's, it's not the, the end of the world, but it's true that the only ones who had to push their plans were the Scots. So that, that's where it's, it's not particularly fair. One injury I want to ask you about, guys. We didn't think Roman Taffa Fanoa was going to be playing. He was on the bench, came on, made a million tackles. So anyone know the thinking behind why he didn't start the game? Uh, to be honest, I have no idea. I think I was surprised of how unfit or not unfit a poor thing. He's only a human being, but Bernard Leroux looked compared to normal. He's basically such a unit and such a, a workhorse that you just notice when he has an average game. And that's really what he, I mean, Swan Rebaj, the, the Toulon guy, had a proper game. He worked a lot and he worked well. So I think maybe that's what they had in the back of their mind. At least we'll get, you know, the young buck to cover the, the full 80. And we've got Tao, maybe 80, he doesn't have them, but 60, he will. And we know that Bernard Lou will not be able to, to go on forever. So I think that maybe that was the mindset. There was also the fact that they were really scared of the Scottish line out. So maybe we'll have, you know, double sort of threat. There was also a fact that they know that Scotland are not particularly the most powerful, but they play a lot of rugby. Um, I, I actually don't really understand what happened. All I know is that it would have made sense to keep Romain Tao for me personally. And then you decide who you partner up with. All I know is that the heart on the Scottish side was bigger. And yes, maybe the, the, the pure raw talent of the French team should go beyond that. But I'm just saying on the day, for some other reason, because they're human beings, lack of leadership maybe in the French side, lack of re um, responsibility from the management side, I don't know. But more heart on the Scottish side. And Johnny, we mentioned the criticism that Fabian Galtier got after the England game for his use of the bench. Just mentioned their selection of... Roman Tafafanua on the bench instead of starting. What's been in the French media? Any criticism coming his way after after that game? Not really for the bench, I wouldn't say. It's more being general about how they played and different elements of executing simple parts of a game plan under pressure. Like if you if you go through Benji and I talked briefly at the start, but there were there was like four or five aspects of their game and the way they played that really, really shocked me. Go on, let's go one by one. Line out defense. Yeah. So I'm playing against you, Benji, right? You are George Turner. 
I watched your game against Ireland where you had a 20% success rate. Therefore, I'm going to pressurize you, right? And I'm going to compete. This is just an example, right? Because it's never happened to me at 20% rate. No, it never happened to you. Okay, thank you. Say you're a coach, right? And you're coaching against George Turner. And you know that kid who's been dropped out of the team, brought back into confidence. He's playing in the ring. What are you going to do? Are you going to stay on the deck? Or are you going to jump in there, contest everything, especially when it rains? You're probably going to leave the tail because you're going to make sure he has to throw to 15 meters and you're going to compete hard in pouring rain at the five meter and the 10 meter spot. France didn't compete one line out. They did, to be honest, but well, I agree with you. It looked like they didn't compete at all because they were trying to do a mirror defense between that Swan Rebage and Charles Olivon. And on the rain, with lack of automatism, uh, automatism, I don't know if you say that, it's, it was very, very complicated. So it's true, it looked like they didn't compete at all. It was amateur. And so for people that don't understand, a mirror line out is when you're lining up in defense and you try and mirror every movement that's happening in front of you and get in the air. But that means normally you have to be really good, really athletic, you have to read really well. Whereas you look at all the other teams in the tournament, you have either a half mirror and the rest is a block defense where you just stick a block of people. Like if you come up against Ireland, you have somebody blocking the tail, you can't go there. So you're forced to adapt and go somewhere else. But what happened in this case is they didn't do anything. France capitulated and conceded two tries, really, because they didn't compete at line-out time. They let Scotland set up malls and straight away you're on the back foot. Later in the game, again, they don't compete. Baptiste Saran is forced to come in and try and stop a driving mall, gets yellow carded. Yeah. And it just looked to me like there was either no strategy. So you've got Karim Gezal, who's the, the Leon, come from Leon, who worked with Puricelli for years. No, there was nothing. They weren't in there. There was no pressure. It was easy for Scotland. So this is the balance, Benji, for me between heart and determination. If I'm Scotland and I know I'm winning 100% of my lineup ball because the French team aren't getting up in the air, it's a huge boost. It's a huge boost to me. I know I've got all my ball. I can set up malls. I'm going to get go forward. France team's going to have to soak, soak up pressure, give away penalties, and we get more territory and go forward. It's a really simple part of the game, but tactically, France got it completely wrong. So why would France have done that tactically? I have no idea. Because you know anywhere else in the world you play in wet weather, especially against a hooker who has not thrown well, you block the five-meter channel. Grant Gilchrist took, I think, something like 70% of the ball straight on the five-meter or the seven-meter by double movements, just fooling the French defense in the middle and taking it at the front really simply. And normally, you don't look at the opposition. You have a block defense. You get in there and you put pressure on a hooker on the five-meter and then in the middle of the lineup, maybe the 10-meter. And if you can force them to go to the tail and throw in that condition, you say great, well done, and then you give them another one. For me, that was the big area that was glaring at the start of the game was they didn't compete at line at time. And that allowed Scotland an easy foothold in the game and made it an arm wrestle. What bothered me in the, nice, in the first five minutes or 10 minutes, uh, I, I, was, I didn't see any improvement towards the game. And, and that's why I thought we lost. We didn't receive one kickoff correctly. Like either <laughs> we dropped it in the air, either we put it on the floor. Area. And it's raining, it's, it's chucking it down. So imagine, for even for people who don't know much about rugby, surely you're going to try to kick it as, as fast as you can, right? How many times did Brice de Lyon almost get charged down? Mate. So he gets charged down twice, and then he shifted it to Romain Tamak like a hot potato, if you don't remember. They're scared shitless. But normally, the nine just takes it from the, from the base. But they were doing like a little, just one little phase for some whatever reason, putting Momo Awas, he's always doing those, those, those yeah. tough phases where he's getting, <laughs> job. you get four guys. Yeah, you get four, you know, you just put your head down, you get four guys that smash you. Um, but yeah, again, so the simple, simple things they didn't do well. They never got out of their half easy. They didn't defend and put a lot of pressure. They were very poorly disciplined in the second half. The dis discipline just completely got chucked out in, in the bin. And, and you, like, like Johnny said, you never felt that there was, apart from poor Brice Dulin, who was basically the best and the worst at certain times. Yeah. 
and who had a lot of work to be done. To be honest, I, I felt bad for him. He, he was completely isolated, left on his own. And, and basically, there was you never felt that there was any of the players who basically, like you said, grab somebody and said, listen, right, let's just change from now. Let's not wait for half time to speak to the coaches. Let's not wait till the last 10 minutes to get the bench to come on. Let's just try to change something from now. And there's just nothing changed. They never scored twice consecutively. It was pretty much they score, we score, they score, we score. And there was no, no clear leadership to basically transform the game. But that's a whole other level of a team. When you know how good you can be, you know you can adapt to the conditions. And even in the conditions, because of the ref, because of whatever shit happens, you change on the spot, on the field. That's the like top, top leadership and the top quality teams who are able to do that. France are just not there yet. So we've had points number one and two, Johnny. What's uh, what's three and four in the playbook? So two exactly the same. I Like their exit strategy, there wasn't one. There basically wasn't one. So Scotland, you could see clearly, they took the ball, one really hard carry. You could see how intense they were to get one decent carry and blow past. Then they either kicked long and on, as we say, which is you kick long and you keep the ball on the field because they didn't want to give France any set pieces because you guys are awesome from set piece. So I was like, that's a clear strategy. You're kicking long down the field as far as you can with Stuart Hogg to get away from danger and just giving the ball back, but not kicking out. And I think we got pinged once where Bruce Dulan started a really good counter-attack from a, a quick Bracassi. tap where they scored their try. Bracassi, exactly. But otherwise, they then let, went away from Bruce Dulan and they went for, if they got decent go forward, Finn Russell put a big up and under cross field and they would try and target Intermac. And we got four turnovers out of it. So like there was a clear strategy. For France, it was almost like they hadn't done it before. This is the incredible thing. So, and th this is why I'm glad that they lost because there were cracks and there's fundamentals in the game that they're not doing right, but they have insane talent. Starter plays are exceptional. Their defense globally is night and day from where it was, but there's these little things that there was just nothing clear. And the third one, was just the sort of inability to change your game plan from multi-phase. So the, the key to the game last year against Scotland was Chris Harris. I thought his defense at 13, the way he leads up line speed and blitzes everything, he basically shuts down all the time and space where Vakatawa has nowhere to go, gets him on the deck and it's game over. The only option... He did, he did the same thing. He did the same thing. Exactly. Be because you guys didn't adapt. It's not so much It's not so much didn't adapt. It's, it's more he did really well again. So knowing Fabian... And playing in teams where we've played against blitz defenses with Fabian, we've changed our game plan because of a blitzing D. Whereas this time, you know Chris Harris has come back into the team. He's playing ahead of Hugh Jones. Nothing was changed. And what I mean is, you take the pitch, you come off, you run off nine right on a 15-meter channel, and then France generally look to get wide and get the ball to Vakatawa. And it just couldn't happen. There was, there was nothing for him to do because he had no time and no space. In the end... Intermac has to sling a couple of balls over the top in wet conditions to try and reach his wingers. And in which case we can just slide in defense, push you to the touchline and, and get you on the deck. Whereas what Fabian would have done and did do with Montpellier, which is where things didn't change here, was he wouldn't take that ball off the touchline and run off nine. You'd play through 10 and take away the middle of the field and you'd open up both sides of attack. So a team cannot blitz you back. And that's where for me, in wet conditions, again, I know it's tricky, but that's the detail I know Fabian is capable of giving and, and doing and executing, but the, this French side didn't do it or it wasn't talked about. I'm not sure if they basically won that game last week by the skin of their teeth against Wales and then went and had 10 beers and didn't do a video. Mate, they were obviously super hyped for this game. And stuff exactly. You're right. Maybe they didn't know that the, the, the ball, the, the, they didn't forecast basically the weather. They didn't prepare for any plan B. They thought it was going to be fast paced. Let's go again, like against Wales, you know, just chuck the ball around and go. I also can't really explain how Virimi Vakatawa had his worst game for the last year. 
he was barely power walking sometimes. So he did step a guy and flick it out the back for Damien Peno whilst power walking. So <laughs> he can still, he's still pretty freakishly extraordinary, but I still don't understand it. He got subbed off, I think with what, 25 minutes to go yeah. or something. That's pretty, that's pretty rare for a, for, for a center in general and for him. Um, there's just, yeah, some Romain Tamak just is not back yet, right? He's only human, poor thing. He's only a young buck who's barely, and he broke his jaw. It's not like he fractured, you know, he didn't just tear his calf or something. He broke his jaw. So you can understand that he's not mega keen to be chucking himself into contact. And a few times we could have carried the ball into contact and maybe try something to provoke the defense out of his own, which he's very good at. He just didn't. He just started shifting the ball and that's about it. I just thought that Aldrit had an okay game, but he just had a lot of work and a lot of intensity. You could tell that Amy Schwachen and what's his name? Um, not Guy Ritchie, but Jamie, Jamie Ritchie. Ritchie. <laughs> Ritchie. <laughs> Jamie Ritchie. Bloody hell, he goes through a lot of work, that guy also. Yeah, he's Oof. good, eh? Wow, the two of them, they're, they're, they're the two of them. I, I love I love Hamish Watson. He just makes me laugh every single time I see him walk. It's just something funny is going to happen. Man, he's like a cartoon character. He's just like, he's a little, you know, the, the devil of Tasmania. He's, he's really funny. But, um, and they were just outplayed. So, look, I've already mentioned you five or six French guys that got eaten up by their opposing number. Well, there's not a lot left to 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 have behind. And on top of that, France still could have won the game, should have won the game Easy. Ten, 10 seconds in. But my point is, in spite of those fundamentals that France didn't do well, they're still in a position to win the game because yeah. they've got guys like Marchand, Ficou, Damien Penneau, Brice Dulin. The talent is phenomenal. Give them a sniff and they're gone. Freakish amount of talent, freakish amount of depth. If those little fundamentals and simple ways of fixing and relieving pressure are brought in, you'll blitz everyone. And that's why I think it's a positive that you're making these errors now that hopefully they'll get back together, look at the video, get back to clubs and change the way they do it at their clubs as well and come back stronger because it's easily the best that we've seen from France in years. And with these little things, minor tweaks, they could come back and they could blow Scotland and Wales away every single time they take the field. They could be that good, but they have to change these little things. So Johnny, obviously there's a fair amount of criticism implied in, in the coaching in what you're saying. And I know he's focusing on France's defence, but you couldn't have a better guy than Sean Edwards to prepare you to play against a blitz defence. So why do you think France weren't ready then, if that's the case? Because Sean's role is defence. <laughs> Nothing of what we talked about is... Um, Sean's role. Surely he could help in that respect if allowed. I think he's got a remit and he does it really well. Like France defended well, but the reason they ended up giving away so many penalties and absorbing pressure is because the other aspects of their game weren't right. That's not Sean. Um, it wasn't like it was defensive errors. There weren't massive line breaks. It, it, like they, they got most of their tackles completed. I imagine their tackle percentage would have been really good. But when you're conceding tries off driving malls and lineouts because you're not jumping, and um, when you're giving away field position for those reasons, Sean's hands are tied. Speaking of tries, speaking of double movement or no double movement? They didn't even replay it. For me, it's a clear double movement. He's like on the floor and then goes again. So you get one you get one reach, right? Once you've, your movement stopped, you've got one. But like Wayne Barr, he's on the spot. He's he's a meter and a half away. He's right there. So if he, yeah. if he has a doubt, he has to go to TMO. But are the same. It looked kind of dubious, but then it wasn't even called back at all. And you mentioned the discipline, Benji, 12 penalties against France in that second half. What Was it just pressure, conditions, or what happened to them? I, I think that's that's when physically and emotionally you're absolutely drained. You, you, you don't see things straight. Uh, but again, maybe to, to understand, and that's where I would agree with Johnny, even though I'm not really in that mindset yet to say that it's, it's a good learning curve. Um, 
maybe it's, you need to be confronted to those areas where you're absolutely in the red zone and you know and your brain is not connecting back to you and just need to get used to this and still repeatedly making the right decision i just thought i thought i hoped i've crossed all my fingers that in dublin that was the the indicator that they've moved on from that yeah. you know that last defensive play and to say that they really didn't cock up and when you look at the french history for the last 10 years my word there's been there's been some 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 heartbreaking moments right there's uh, my mate seb Vamaina, the intercept tried against wales in the six nations there's the johnny sexton drop goal the 84th minute but it also comes from some poor defending around the fringes there's obviously well the red card in the quarterfinal but there's the, always that stupid stupid penalty or that stupid mistake that will cost you the game we were laughing, Antoine Dupont kicking, kicking it out to the 78th minute and 55 seconds in February 2020, thinking, surely, oh, this is never going to happen again. <laughs> you know, this is just impossible. And poor Brice Dula, who's been the standout player of the whole Six Nations. I love him to bits. I think he's got a massive heart. And, and to be honest, I reckon he was, I, I felt like he was, um, how do you say that? everybody let him down basically he, he had zero support during that game bloody hell. i felt he was super isolated and on his own and then he just took a shit decision i saw him he he completely agreed that it was his fault he said everybody else told him to kick it out but he thought he was going to get blocked you know that's what he says there's somebody chasing him he it's just got scared so he just got scared of getting countered and then they could gather the ball and potentially score so he tried to keep it whatever and they ended up getting penalized and stuff he should have kicked it out so but obviously that second half, just decision after decision after decision that was just poor. They were getting angrier. I remember last week I was telling you how I was impressed with Charles Olivon's attitude, even though the decisions were pretty tough and he stayed composed and chilled. They were getting angrier and angrier and Wayne Barnes clearly at the end had enough of it and sort of turned the other way. So yeah, of course we can say, I hope, I hope they learn from this and they will. Experience is not just winning games. Experience is losing a certain amount of games to actually know that you get back up and go again. I just, I would have been happier to have a crap win, not get the, the Six Nations title because to be honest, it wasn't completely deserved. 21 points, bonus points, blah, blah, blah. It's way too much. They should have, I, I would rather concentrate on the second half of Tukinum and say, why did we not win that one rather than anything else? But it would still be a much better, brighter, fairer position to have just beaten Scotland, say fair play Scotland, you guys getting a proper run for our money. You almost did it. But we didn't get the Six Nations and that's it. And now it just feels it's a bit, it's a double lose, if you know what I mean. It's not just like one loss. So on the point of Brees Doolan at the end, Benji, obviously a lot of people, particularly in England, were thinking, what's he doing? You can't score 18 points with a clock in the red. And people were assuming that that was the rationale behind his decision. No. Get it. He's, he's saying he thought he was going to get blocked. So it was just a, that was the reason he didn't kick it out. He, he said that his big mistake is that he had a moment of hesitation that he was going to kick it and he just had a thought about it because he was hearing, he just wasn't sure exactly what he was meant to do. And so it was nothing to do with the 18 points, whatever. He just thought, and as soon as he, that quarter of a split second, whatever you want to call it, that he hesitated, there was a defender on him. And from there, he said, well, that was it. I didn't have a choice. I couldn't kick because I thought I was going to be blocked. He, he blames it on himself massively. He said, it's, it's, it's on him. It's, it's, it's his fault. Everybody else was telling him to do it, but there was nothing about the winning the bonus point. Like Johnny said, I think very, very early on in the game, I think pretty much we haven't, we spoke about the defense, line out defense, but we haven't spoken about that line out just before halftime where it's chucking it down. You chuck it on the 15. I know if you get a ball in the, what people don't understand, if you catch the ball in the 15 meters and you drive them all there, it's almost impossible to defend, right? It's, it is very unlikely you're not going to score, but the risk is that you can get, you can get screwed over by getting the balls stolen. 
And under the rain, it's even more complicated. So again, leadership, maybe you ask the hooker, how do you feel it? Julien Marchand, I'm pretty sure would have not said no, but still he's a good thrower. Maybe under those conditions, those conditions he would have said, no, play it safer. So just a multiple of, of different of different little errors. And I think from that moment, from that line out, I saw them walking at halftime and I thought, it's done. And it basically, if you're not going to get the 21 points, they were like, wow, it's the same thing as losing, losing, right? Yeah. And I thought I felt like they gave up at halftime. There are always lots of moments in the game, Johnny, but that line out just before halftime did feel like the pivotal moment, didn't it? Yeah. Huge. In terms of momentum swing, um, and of all people to to turn, I think it was Nick Haining that, that made the turnover. A guy who, look, I think he's second or third choice at Edinburgh, doesn't really play. And just a huge pivotal moment in the in the sort of tide of pressure. We talked about line out battle, pressure, trying to get over the over the line. And that would have been a huge boost for France going in before half time with, the, with that at their backs that win behind their in their sails and an extra five points but it just wasn't to be and, and as Benji said there were certain key moments where you could just see they were deflated and that for me it flipped from being eerily quiet and subdued pre-kickoff things not going right a little bit dejected uh, body language slumping and then almost at that half time it was like for me either they're going to rebel they're going to get in the change rooms they're going to go nuts kick the crap out of each other and come back and show something else or they're going to just implode. And that for me was the moment where, but well, it's not our night and just they down tools. So look, hugely frustrating. Like Benji as well, like even if Brees, like if Brees had, had gotten that ball out, I think general, the sort of feeling of this championship for France would have been positivity and, and one of like, we've taken a step forward and just that second half performance, the sort of, the set, and, and the way it's slid by, there's a little bit of disappointment about French, in French rugby and from French rugby public about how it's finished and the manner, whereas it seemed like it was so promising. The first few games, completely different face. And that was it. Like, huge moment for French rugby. That lineup missed just before halftime. Huge moment in the in the game um, and really pivotal for, for French rugby in the, in the sort of field generally now in the week after the game. And what did you both make of Finn Russell's red card? Unfortunately, there's no. it's a no-brainer for the ref. Um, elbow elbow in, in the neck, you know, is a straight red. The only thing is I thought Brice Dulin could have gone down uh, to the knees to tackle. If you're going to go high, there's a, there's a chance of unfortunately um, getting into trouble. Um, sometimes it's the tackler that gets into trouble. Sometimes it's the guy with the ball. But un- unfortunately, it's it's a pretty no-brainer. An elbow in the, in the neck can be very, very complicated. I was fortunate enough to play with Aurélien Rougerie for 10 years. Every single time he saw that, he was like, mate, Phil Grinning almost killed me. Because he, he spent really? about seven months... Mate, he spent seven months in the hospital, Aurélien Rougerie. He was fed... Oh. You know, you know, have you ever spoken to Aurélien Rougerie? He speaks, but he's got a bit of a voice. I like did that. not know that. Hey, they, they destroyed his, he, I think, I don't know how many vocal cords you've got naturally, but he's he's lost half of them or something. Wow. Can't sing for shit. <laughs> but because um, <laughs> basically he got he got an elbow and then he got inflammated and he got, he got septicemia inside. Man, it, was, it was horrendous. He pretty much was out for a year. A definite red card, Johnny. Y- yeah. Uh, well, I, I agree like, with the point that, Benji's made about the tackle, but then that far out from the line, you, you can't go low because you know if somebody gets their arm free and offloads, it's a try. So you're forced to go high, um, which is unfortunate. But for Finn, you know that as soon as your elbow now comes away from your body and you lead with it, you're in trouble. And look, I think his elbow caught his shoulder. It was forearm to the neck, but it doesn't matter. Like once you're in that area, we're all about protecting headspace these days. 
and looking after ourselves and look it's an automatic red card so yeah I don't think Finn can contest it the issue for Finn now is obviously there's Champions Cup rugby coming up it didn't look that vicious but letter of the law it's a red card straight away so is he going to be back for racing in these key games over the next couple of weeks or is he going to be sitting on the naughty step and Johnny mentioned it the tournament as a whole for France Benji last year they finished second we talked about how much progress they'd made it felt really positive this year they finished second again but does it feel like completely a missed opportunity this time rather than progress yeah definitely missed opportunity considering that you finish what, a couple of points in the second half against in Twickenham <sighs> there's a bit of that clusterfuck sort of waffle gate in the middle that obviously puts a toll on the whole tournament and you just don't really know when you're trying to find excuses of fitness and of you know players are back and they're not back and this and that Overall, I feel still as adamant of the positive future for the French team. I think they have learned. I'm, I'm, I'm sticking strong to that Dublin win, basically, in the last couple of minutes, because it's a type of win that we hadn't seen for a long, long time. Um, so, of course, I'm seeing the glass half, glass half full, because the last performance really left a dirty taste in our mouth, considering how good they could have been, should have been, whatever. But um, I still think, listen, that things, are, things are, are, are looking up. They are learning. They are still very young. I always look at the number of caps, basically, you know, per uh, as soon as they, they they go into the lineups and stuff. And I, there was a freakish statistic when playing against Wales that yeah. the the tight five or the the starting eight of Wales had already what was it hundred caps more than the whole French team or something. Alan Wynne Jones has more caps than the entire French pack, which shows you how inexperienced they are. So yes, absolutely, they're young and experienced, and they're only going to get better. So France are only going to get better. And what about Scotland briefly, Johnny? Because how on earth do you judge that as a tournament? They win away in Paris, they win away at Twickenham and they still finish fourth. Look, I I don't like going back to France quickly. I I think if you, if they win that game, France get like an A minus for the tournament in terms of the leaps and bounds, how they've come on, new players, organised. But the way they kind of lost that game, there's some real questions still to be answered. So for me, it goes to like a B minus, possibly a C is like what I would grade them as their teacher. Hard. Poor old Brees Doolan. One little mistake and he's downgraded them three or four grades. There, <laughs> exactly. Poor boy. Scotland's a completely different kettle of fish. Look, it's the first time that we've won away from home like that since 1926. But in order to do that, we had to be exceptional. Like those are two of our best performances in years. And there's an understanding that we're not going to churn those out every single time we take the field. So it's how can that side, capable of going to Twickenham and winning, consistently do it and, and that's where like I caught up with I caught up with Finn briefly after the game chat to him in the tunnel for a bit it was like look it's an absolute confidence confidence booster we know we can do it it's great for the self-confidence of the group and for the team this team has accomplished this this year but if you're going to get better and you're going to be respected at a higher level by their teams consistently you have to do it more often and year on year you're such a liar Johnny you never talk about that with, with Finn Russell he only told you how gutted am I that the nightclubs are closed there's bloody <laughs> we hell. got to that he would have had a night he would have had one night I'm telling you that little video with Greg uh, Laidlaw you know when they sing the anthem after yeah, beating England. England that would have been nothing compared to it so I cut, like I was like, so where would you go tonight? We're talking hypotheticals because it was such a normally should be eighty thousand people in the stadium, massive win. I was like, so where would you be going? Would you go to VIP? He was like, nah, I really love Boom Boom. I was like, I've never heard of Boom Boom, but I'd be up for Boom Boom. Um, and then it was actually who else was there? It was Thibaut Giroud was also there. We were chatting. He's like, oh no, mate, Boom Boom's closed. And Finn was like, we should buy Boom Boom. We're gonna buy Boom Boom. That was his. <laughs> 
that was his thought process after the game. But look, it was a mix of, look, consistently, if we can do it at a consistent level regularly, it's going to be phenomenal. But this is just a taste. Like if we'd had fans here, if we could party afterwards with everyone, if kilts were in Paris, what a night it would have been. Um, but look, they're on cloud nine. Well done, but it's now a case of done it. Monkeys off the back, beating English at Twickenham, beating French in Paris. How often can we do it? We're getting there, aren't we? Next year, boom, boom, Benji, we're going, aren't we? Yeah. I'll buy boom, boom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sounds good. Hello, I'm Garrett Thomas. And I'm Tom Fordyce. And this is your official invite to come and join our brand new cycling club. Now, good news, it's a podcast too. So you can come and listen to us, try and build this club from scratch. And we'll have a few familiar faces joining us for the ride too. Right, G, time to tell everyone what we've called this club. Well, we thought long and hard about this, so we come up with a strong, original name that really stands out. The Garrett Thomas Cycling Club. Yeah, I suppose it's easy to remember at least, isn't it? We will have new episodes for you every single Tuesday. Come and join us. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Well, Scotland did win the Kayser BT derby as we've been dubbing it at the weekend, Benji. But I've got a bit of a silver lining for you the Guinness pint predictor, you won. You beat Johnny Benji. Hey, that was always going to happen, wasn't it? There's only a matter of 
you know, how, how much I can, if I'm fighting for a pint of Guinness, I will fight very, very hard, basically. That's that's the long story short. To be honest, I think both myself and Johnny were pretty shit. <laughs> so so it's I, I it's, I really beat it. I really beat Johnny, but we were both sadly poor. But the big positive for me was that we weren't as bad as our mate Jim Hamilton. And if you're you never want to be that bad, we both beat him. Exactly. So we both beat him, so I'm happy. Absolutely. Well, the uh, the Guinness is on you and Jim in uh, in Boom Boom next year, Johnny. Um, the top fourteen was back at the weekend as well, and you stayed in Paris, didn't you, to commentate on a good away win for Clermont at Stade Francais? Yeah, they it was again all your mates Benji playing, so Para was back in mixing it. Seb Bezzi was awesome when he came off the bench, but Moala, the thirteen, the, the ex All Black, like oh, absolute freak show. Yeah, he's, he, oh, he's, been he's a dangerous for the last twelve months. He's, he's the most powerful back in the world, I reckon, at the moment. Yeah. He's like, he's like the, what's that, what's that really big unit that plays in, in New Zealand that's got a couple of caps who plays for the Hurricanes, I think. La Mape. La Mape, exactly. Well, he's a taller La Mape, basically. Wow, he just breaks people in half every time he gets the ball. He's unreal. And so Stade Francais were a little bit average. Um, Clermont really battled line-out time. They, mate, they had like a 20% day, but where like guys like Moala completely got them out of jail. So like a massive away win. Uh, Stade Francais also lost Kremer after about half an hour with a bad knee injury or ankle injury, which looked kind of dangerous for him. But look, it was a great game. Sunny day coming into the sort of final sprint time as well. Finals rugby is nearly here. Sun's coming out. Ball's getting chucked around. It's the best bit of the French rugby year. So no, it was a great game. Um, but yeah, Moala, an absolute monster. Also, Makalu ran in another one from 40 metres out. I don't know if you saw highlights of the game, but yeah. another ball over the top, 15 metre channel. He runs in again, pretty much untouched. Like, absolute freak show. He burned Peter Betham. Yeah, exactly. The outside <laughs> The back. winger, who's a very, very quick fellow. Um, so it just shows, like, he's just, give him space and he's freakish. So we might see him back again, the French team. But no, it was a great game. And into the final sprint at the bottom of the table as well. Hell of a win for Montpellier away at Toulouse, as well as Bayonne beating Racing at home. So is it Poe we're looking in trouble now? Yeah, poor, poor, massively. To be fair with Bayonne, they've been they struggled against some big teams. They got smoked. I think they lost. What is it? They lost about sixty points or seventy points in Clermont and stuff like that. But they've delivered some pretty good performances um, at home, and they consistently basically get there. And to beat Racing is a, is a big old win. So fair play. They're really you know grabbing the the the, the bull by the horns. Um, and Montpellier, listen, it's yes, you can praise them, but they're just even half of where they should be. Basically, that's the whole story. Uh, but they beat they beat uh, a, a properly weakened Toulouse side who still had Piatto Mouvaka as hooker, Netti, who's in French international, Farmouina, Taited, um, Max Meda on the bench, Yoa Nugier, Colby fullback, Sofiane Guitou in the center. Man, they, so they, they, they were crying over it because it's true that it's a tough one for them when considering the amount of guys they're missing, but they still had a hell of a team. They were just beaten by heart again. Montpellier just wanted it more. And just quickly before we go, Europe is back this weekend and we know how much you two love that. Which games are you looking forward to in particular? So I'm I'm going to Montpellier to do Montpellier Glasgow in the Challenge Cup. Um uh, looking forward to it ish, let's face it. But um <laughs> but now that I'm really looking forward to to Wasp uh, Clermont the, the the following day. That should be fast-paced open rugby, quite exciting. And then Munster Toulouse is always Munster Toulouse, right? Uh, that's that's uh, that's always a big game. Um, that, that I think will we'll have a few fireworks. So I'm a little bit worried about Toulon because they got absolutely cuffed at the weekend by 50 points by Lyon. They lost Manonu after I think like 25 minutes to a red card, but that's not your prep that you want before you travel to Leinster, who've <laughs> just won the Pro 14 um, 
So I'm I'm worried that could be seriously, seriously hard work for um for Toulon. Monster to lose like two of the biggest teams in Europe that have ever been. That'll be an absolute cracker. I'm actually really looking forward to Bordeaux Bristol, strangely. Yeah. Like knowing Christoph Urios and how he plays, like his team is organized. And then I love how Pat Lamb has that Bristol side playing there, absolutely hissing. So that should be class. And then watching some old teammates, Racing against Edinburgh as well, I'm looking forward to. Um, so no, some absolute corkers this weekend, really looking forward to it. And just nice to have European rugby back. And you mentioned Toulon, Johnny. Our friend, Sergio Parise, is staying on for another year, isn't he? We don't know whether it's at Toulon or not, but he's he's going to play on for another year. He announced that his body and his mind is ready to play for another year, that he's really close of resigning in Toulon, it's just not for sure. But yes, he wants to play another year. He's ready. He's got it in the tank. Well, it's it, it was a bit more complicated after they got smoked by 50 points in, in Lyon. Yeah. But um, <laughs> but he also, I think he's looking for an offer to do one year and then another year get, in, get himself into the staff because he wants to coach. And look, he'd be phenomenal down there. Like a guy to mentor Olivon, take him through how to like operate captain-wise, culture-wise, environment and line-out stuff. Like, there's no better guy to... To learn from he's absolutely fantastic so look if he does resign great we get to watch him play another year um, and obviously he's going to be a terrific coach when he makes that switch as well so that'd be really cool if he does and one more on the transfer news front because JJ Hamran confirmed he's going from Munster to Clermont next season Benji so what do you make of that uh Listen, if you're gonna find, if you're gonna try to find a complementary um, sort of backup to Camille Lopez, who's got experience, who can bring something different, who can potentially play to cover more than one position, who's reliable, who's pretty a, quite a sturdy player with a strong kicking game, then he's your perfect fit, right? I would have been happier if they had a super young French ten that they, they want to, you know, promote through the ranks and get in there. But it's just the reality of top 14 at the moment. You need the backup. Camille Lopez is playing really well this season, but he's on his own. Uh, Tim Lina Williams is is, is going to leave the club. So basically, they, they, they need that backup. Thanks, Benji. Thanks, Johnny. And a big thanks to all of you guys for listening as well. Not quite France's year this year, was it? But um, you'll be back, Benji. You'll be back next year. 100%. We will be back, boys. Mark my words. In the meantime, make sure you hit subscribe. Leave us a nice review. And we will be back with another episode next week. Au revoir, guys. Cheers. Cheers, fellas. Crowd Network, a place where you belong.